0: I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open to Galatians chapter 5, and if you don't have a physical Bible, you can use your phone, uh, whatever uh, device you might have in front of you, I would encourage you to, to look at the text for yourself, if you're able. We're going to really set the context for this season of study today. You're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit throughout the rest of uh, these next uh, few months, and uh, today I just want to put the fruit of the Spirit in the context in which we find them. I uh, just, you know, some of you have heard this illustration, and and so you know it's it's not something that I've made up, and uh, especially if you know anything about. Um, my wife and I, we have the brownest, blackest thumbs. You know, anyone can imagine. We, the only thing we can keep alive are the weeds. Uh, those just won't ever go away. But uh, if, if we have a plant or something, it's, it's going to die, guaranteed. Well, um, just imagine in your mind for a moment that, uh, you know, we have a fruit tree that actually is alive in our yard. But it's, it's not really bearing all that much fruit. Uh, or maybe it's out of season or whatever. And we just decided, you know what, we it's a fruit tree, there should be fruit, we really would like to see some fruit. So I go out and I buy a bag of apples or whatever other fruit, and I take my uh, nail gun and I go out and <laughs> nail the, that, those apples to the tree. Look, honey, <laughs> I, I've, made, I, I've made this a fruitful apple tree. <laughs> Uh, th- that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? You know, we just intuitively understand that that doesn't work. Uh, those apples are not going to last very long. Uh, they're they're going to rot. They're going to fall off, uh, and we're really not going to even want uh, to eat them anymore because now they have probably lead in them or something. <laughs> um, or think about maybe a more true to life. Uh, example. Uh, Maybe you've heard of Benjamin Franklin and his 13 virtues. He had decided at one point in his life that um, he was not all he wanted to be in terms of personal character and life habits. And so he created a list of 13 virtues that he wanted to establish in his life. And he realized, well, it's too much to try and uh, build all of these things into my life all at the same time. So he created a schedule where he would focus on one virtue, as I understand it, one virtue a week, try and cultivate that in his life, and then at the end of that week go on to the next virtue and kind of march through uh, the virtues and then go back and rehearse and and try and develop them. Well, he wasn't a a believer, obviously, and his virtues weren't biblical virtues. They weren't the fruit of the Spirit. They were things like temperance and sincerity and um, justice and frugality and things like that. But he found that by trying to focus on each one once a week, uh, that he would experience measured success until his attention was redirected to another uh, virtue. And then the the one he had been working on kind of fell back into his his old habits. Right? Uh, These are ways that we sometimes treat the fruit of the Spirit. We, we study them, we read them, we're like, oh yes, I'm, I'm not as loving, I'm not as patient, I don't have joy, maybe I'm not as gentle, so I need, to, I need to put that into my life. I need to figure out a way to get this into my life. And so we do whatever we think we can to, to try and in, uh, invest in growing in those ways. And maybe we have some success, uh, but often we have a lot of failure. And we really struggle to make these vital, uh, natural parts of our life. And I think the reason that we struggle with that is because we're do- going about it the, the wrong way. And when we study the context of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we, we learn how God would have us to, to think and, and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, not directly, but rather indirectly. Uh, in a way that would allow that fruit to grow naturally and in a way that they are sustained and uh, empowered by the spirit so so that's what we want to look at this morning in Galatians chapter 5 let me let me read uh, verses 13 to 26 we're not going to go through it in great detail but we'll We'll draw out a number of things from this. Galatians 5.13-26 Paul says, "...for you were called to freedom, brethren, ladies, only do not use your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another." Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful challenging one another, envying one another. Would you pray as we begin? Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for these women and their desire to fellowship with one another and to grow in Christ as they study Your Word. Uh, Lord, help us. This passage is in many ways familiar to many of us, and that can often um, blind us to some of the obvious truths that are there. Lord, help us to see this in a fresh way, uh, to come to an understanding that will uh, allow us to walk away with a renewed desire to walk by the Spirit, and to live a life that's pleasing to You, not, not in a way that, that is seeking to keep uh, a law, but in a way that um, is living out of what You have done for us and uh, loving You uh, because of who You are. Uh, So God, help us, Holy Spirit, uh, teach us and be glorified as we spend this time together meditating on Your Word. In Christ's name, Amen. So Paul's aim in this section is really to address the issue of what drives the Christian life. What is it that's pushing the Christian life forward? Uh, If you know Galatians, Paul has spent a lot of time up until this point in the earlier chapters uh, addressing the problem that there were many who were believing that you had to obey the law, the Mosaic law, in order to be a good Christian, if you will. Uh, he uses the language in Galatians 2 of, you know, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He was challenging these Galatians who were saying, yes, 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 uh, we we had to uh, believe in Christ to experience salvation, but now that we're in Christ, now we have to obey the law in order to be, in order to be perfected, in order to be sanctified, in order to be pleasing to God. And Paul is arguing against that in the letter, saying, no, 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 as believers in Christ, we are not under the law. We are not to live our lives constrained and restrained by the law of Moses. And so, in this section, he's basically answering the question, okay, well, if we're not to be constrained or restrained by the law of Moses how can we live in a way that prevents us from devolving into a life of sin? Because there's just this basic principle that uh, by default, we are sinners and we will live out sin unless something else is directing and guiding our lives. So the question really is, if the believer is not bound to the law... Again, what prevents the Christian from devolving into a pervasively sinful life? Or or how can the sinful flesh be restrained? If the flesh is not to be restrained by law, and if it's not to be unrestrained, then how can it be restrained? Or or just again, how will the Christian life move forward? How, How do we live the Christian life? And the answer is simply this. The Christian life is lived according to the Spirit. It's as simple as that. It's lived according to the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means that the person who follows Christ must be controlled by the will of a person outside themselves. To live according to the Spirit means that we must be controlled by a will of a person outside of ourselves. And that person, of course, is the Spirit of God. We see this specifically in verses 16 and 17. Look at that again. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, or the things that you want or desire. What he says here is there are two wills. There are two people in competition, in opposition to one another. This is not a, a situation where there is a document that contains a list of rules that at the end of the day we can check off in our minds, yes, I did that, no, I didn't do that, good, I've, I've met all the rules. No, he's saying the Christian life is a competition between two wills, two people, two sets of desires. Our life as those who are united to Christ will be driven either by deeply held beliefs, desires, and the will of our sinful flesh, or our lives will be driven by the beliefs, desires, and will of the Spirit of God. Now, obviously, and Paul really doesn't need to make it explicit, we are not to live according to the flesh. Uh, he's in, you know, discouraging that. He's saying, no, no, no. The way to, uh, to overcome the sinful flesh is to live according to the Spirit. If you think about this passage, and just kind of setting aside verses 13 to 15 for a moment, um, if, you, if you just glance over the passage with your eyes, you can notice that there's only one command in this text. In all that he says, there's only one command. And that command is not, bear the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> uh, the command, rather, is, walk by the Spirit walk by the Spirit. Or, as he says in verse 25, uh, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you have another translation, it's it's actually a different word in the Greek, but it's the same idea, keep in step with uh, follow the Spirit. Same idea as walking or living. So, Paul's purpose in this passage is to free the believer... To free us from living according to the law on the one hand, and to free us from antinomianism. Uh, Namos is the Greek word for law. Antinomianism means anti-law, that there's no law, meaning we live according to what's right in our own eyes, we do whatever we feel is right, we're not bound by any constraints. Those are the two ditches of the Christian life. Either legalism, living by law, or antinomianism, anti-legalism, if you will, living uh, according to the desires of the flesh. His, his purpose here is to help us to live and walk according to the Spirit. Now, how do you know? If you're, if you're just doing a self-evaluation, if you're thinking about your life, however long you've been a believer... Uh, how can you gauge where you might be walking according to the flesh versus walking according to the Spirit? And that's really what Paul gives us in verses 19 to uh, 23. He gives us evidences of what it looks like when a person walks according to the flesh, or what it looks like when a person walks according to the Spirit. So he's not, in this particular passage, he's not giving us a list of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, or do this, do this, do this. He's saying these are the signs of a person who's walking by the flesh or a person who's walking by the Spirit. And so you can see there in verses 19 to 21, I won't read it again, but that list of of behaviors, of outward manifestations, uh, even to some degree internal um, sins like jealousy uh, and enmities, idolatry, uh, those are the things that come out of a person who is walking according to the flesh. So if you see those things manifesting in your life, that's an indication to you that at least to one degree or another, you're walking according to the desires of the flesh. On the other hand, verses 22 and 23, which give us the fruit of the Spirit, Again, those are manifestations, those are evidences that uh, I must be walking by the Spirit, of course, with the Spirit's help, because that's what is coming out of me in the difficult moments. And we'll come back to the the broader context uh, at the end, but notice that... Uh, Verses 13 to 15, the beginning of the passage that I read, and then verse 26, the last verse of that passage, speak to relationships. So really the broadest context, or not the broadest, but the, the broader context of the fruit of the Spirit is how we engage in relationship with one another. And so the... The lists in verses nineteen to, to twenty four of either the fruit of the, the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit are a re- reflection in the context of our relationships with other people as to how are we doing walking by the flesh or walking by the spirit? All right. So, just a reminder again that these fruit of the spirit in verses 23, twenty-two and twenty-three are not commanded here. They are commanded, though, in other passages. So, I'm not re- releasing uh, all of us from any you know sense of obligation. There, there is the command to love. There is the command to pursue peace. There is the command to rejoice. Uh, and all the others have uh, their their commands elsewhere in Scripture. But just here, Paul is using them as a reflection of one who is walking by the Spirit. Let's look a little bit closer as we uh, think about this uh, principle of the two competing wills, again in verses 16 and 17. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit... Against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. These two verses here tell us, explain to us, why the Christian life is so hard. If you've ever wondered why those sinful habits in your life, the sinful thinking, the sinful behaviors, uh, that that come out of you? Why those are so hard to overcome? Here's the answer. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit, which is to say that those two are enemies. They are in opposition to one another. Or if you want to know what's required for you to overcome those sinful habits and thinking and behaviors, the answer is in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Something that's so easy to read (laughs) and so hard to do, isn't it? At the moment of salvation, when a person is regenerated and and saved by Christ, they are justified, which means that they are declared righteous in God's sight, that God imputes the righteousness of Christ. He he credits to their account the righteousness of Christ, where He treats a person as though they had lived Christ's life, and He treated Christ as though Christ had lived our sinful life, right? That's justification. Also, what happens at salvation is we are positionally sanctified. Or the Scripture just says sanctified, but we distinguish it. And we say we're positionally sanctified, which means we've been set apart from sin for God. To be sanctified, to be holy, means to be set apart, to be separated. And so, Colossians 1 says that we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We've been cut off from the power of sin. That is to say, the, the controlling interest that sin has in our lives is cut off so that even though there's still influence, we no longer have to obey the desires of the flesh. Uh, we're certainly removed from the penalty of sin because we're no longer deserving of God's wrath because it's already been taken care of at the cross. So sanctification uh, positional sanctification deals with both the penalty and the power of sin we've been cut off from the penalty of sin we've been cut off from the power of sin progressive sanctification is that increasingly in our life we are becoming more and more like Christ and the power of sin is diminishing in our life but even though we've been set free from the power of sin it's still there right verse verse 24 Uh, Yeah, verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. And so part of us wants to say, then why is it still so hard to walk by the Spirit? Isn't it crucified? Isn't it over and done with? Yes. But it's still there, right? Like a corpse, it hangs on us and it weighs us down. But unlike a corpse, it still talks to us. (laughs) We can feel the, the desires and the interests uh, of the flesh. The cravings still come through, uh, even though we've been regenerated in Christ. And so again, even though it's there, and it has influence, because of the work of sanctification, positional sanctification, where that power has been cut off, yet we still are influenced by it. But now we we can say no to it. And as much as it often feels as though the flesh has so much power in our life, the truth is we only... Let me let me rephrase that. The flesh only has as much power as we give it. The flesh only has as much power as we give it, and the reason that it feels like it has so much power is because we've been feeding it. I, I forgot to mention earlier that uh, the the title that you know was. Uh, announced for this was uh, sowing to reap. And I take that from chapter 6 verse um, 7 where he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or a woman sows, this he will also reap. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And, and there, in in a nutshell, Paul expresses w- what he's trying to communicate in verses thirteen to twenty-six of chapter five. That as we give in to the flesh, as we uh, give reign of the flesh in our lives, the flesh will continue to reap and have power over us. But if, as we as we give in to the, as we invest in the Spirit, as we give ourselves over to the Spirit, uh, the Spirit will have reign in our lives. We, we know that the Spirit has been given to us. We're indwelled by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit empowers us uh, to overcome sin. The Spirit illumines our minds to understand the truth. Uh, there are so many ways in which the Spirit works to help us live a new life. Uh, our old Master has been uh, cut off where we are no longer required to submit to Him. We have a new Master, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, but those two masters, again, as we see in verse seventeen, are at war with one another. And notice how it says at the end of verse seventeen, "so that you may not do the things that you please." Now, there's two. You, you can take that both ways. On the one hand, the desires of the flesh make it difficult to live by the Spirit. Right? It's it's the desires of the flesh that complicate our Efforts to walk by the Spirit. Now, I I know how we we all are. I hear this all the time uh, in in counseling where someone says, you know, I would be a really good husband, wife, whatever, if it wasn't for my spouse, if it wasn't for, you know, this other person. Um, But before we blame anybody else for the sin in our life, we have to say, no, 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 It's the desires of the flesh that's giving rise to the, the problems I'm facing. As, as much as we might want to live by the Spirit, it's the flesh that is constantly in opposition, making that difficult. On the other hand, in a, in a blessed way, it's the desires of the Spirit in us that prevent us from being as sinful as we could be. Right? We, we all understand that we, we want to honor Christ. We, we don't want to live a sinful life. We, we want to treat others, spouse, children, friends, whoever, with, with kindness and love. We want to be forgiving. But even as we're struggling to do that, even when we fail, when we blow up in anger or whatever it is that we do, it's the Spirit that is restraining us from being as sinful as we could be. He does that by our conscience, as He works through the the conscience that He's given to us. Uh, And as well as as He brings truth to our minds and and helps us to to not be as uh, given over to sin as we could be. And so before we can take credit for how much sin is restrained in our lives and be like, yeah, I'm really good, I figured that out. I'm not yelling at my kids anymore, I'm not you know whatever. We have to give glory to God, that it's His Spirit in us that's enabling us to overcome sin and become uh, less ungodly. So, those desires are competing within us. Now, again, just looking at verse 17, I'm not doing a detailed exposition, just making some observations here. Uh, the, The way that Paul describes the battle here between the flesh and the Spirit almost makes it sound like... We're a third-party observer in this war. Like there's this flesh and there's the spirit and they're they're having it out. <laughs> but we're off to the side just like, oh, what's going on, guys? <laughs> but that's not at all what it is, right? Because we are an active participant. Uh, we, we have a role in this. It's, it's kind of that... Uh, a, a weird way of, of you know, trying to figure out how this exactly works because, on the one hand, the flesh is us. <laughs> All right, that's me. On the other hand, the spirit is working in and through me. Like Paul says back in chapter 2, verse 20, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? So th- there's a part that we play in actively determining the outcome of, of those battles. And so, that's why Paul says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. As much as sometimes we feel as a, as a third party, the, the reality is we must engage in the battle, and the way that we engage is by uh, submitting and living our life according to the Spirit. Now, verse 16 there, it's a very pragmatic argument. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. It's just a very logical statement uh, that if you're, if you're busy about the things of the Spirit, you're just not going to have time or energy for the things of the flesh. If you look down at verse 25, where he says a similar statement, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And there he's making the statement that if we are alive by the Spirit, if we've been given spiritual life, then we should live out that life that He's given us. Right? We should follow through with uh, the spiritual power. And Paul argues this at length in Romans chapter 6, where he says, If you've been alive, made alive with Christ, stop submitting yourselves to sin as if you're a slave to sin. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Instead, present yourselves as a slave uh, of righteousness to God. So you can look there for a parallel uh, idea of that. So all of this is to say that if you want to reap the fruit of the Spirit in your life, all you have to do, (laughs) all you have to do is sow into your life by living by the Spirit. Okay? Now, again, easy to say, what in the world does that mean? You wake up in the morning. Okay, I'm going to sow to the Spirit. I'm going to live by the Spirit today. Now what? <laughs> How do I do that? Well, uh, me, that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. <laughs> okay. Um I'm going to have to figure out how to curtail this. Um, You don't have to turn there, but just a few pages over is Ephesians chapter 5. I I think there's a direct parallel between walking by the Spirit there in Galatians 5 and being filled by the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. Where Paul says, "...do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." Right? there's a lot of different ideas of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. I, th- I think it's pretty clear what Paul means. When we get drunk with wine, what are we doing? We are taking in alcohol to a sufficient level that all of our inhibitions are removed. All of the restraints are taken away. And so what is in us comes out of us with no filters. That could be words. That could be actions. That's what drunkenness is. You know, you see someone, and, and if you've you know, encountered someone drunk, and they're doing things that you're like, well, that's not normally like them. Well, that's actually what's really inside of them. They just tend to restrain it <laughs> most of the time, thankfully. So drunkenness is taking in alcohol, removing the restraint so that the flesh comes out. Being filled by the Spirit in a similar way is... Taking in the Spirit, allowing the Spirit of God to take over your life, such that He is in control of your life. His thoughts become your thoughts. His desires become your desires. His uh, His will becomes your will. So think of it this way: uh, walking by the Spirit or being filled by the Spirit is cultivating the mind of the Spirit. How does the Spirit think? What does the Spirit uh, believe, if you will, or say is true? It's also cultivating the affections of the Spirit, uh, the desires, the values and priorities of the Spirit. And then finally, it's cultivating the will of the Spirit. What does He want? What is His expressed will? What is He committed to? Now, I have a bunch of passages for each of those that we're not going to look at because there's no time. But, um, but the, the idea is that the spirit is a person right the spirit of god is a person he's a third member of the trinity divine holy eternal infinite uh, he's one member of the godhead and so rather than living our life according to a, a law a set of rules of do's and don'ts what is presented to us in galatians of walking by the spirit is you have to get to know a person what what does the spirit think like what where, what is their heart? What is his heart? I should say. Uh, what what are his desires? And how, I, I want to know him so that the more that I know him, I can be like him, and I can imitate him. It's very much what Paul says in Ephesians five, uh, one and two: be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he says, walk in love just as Christ loved us. And over and over again throughout the epistles, we see these uh, commands, these admonitions to imitate, to follow, to, to uh, uh, act uh, like Christ and, and do what He has done for us, do to others what He has done for us. Now that that can be rather challenging because you know you read the the New Testament and there's there's a lot there. There's a lot of specific commands and it can sometimes feel like, man, this is a law. I have to obey all of these things. I just want to remind you of something you already know, and that is that really it all boils down to two things. The two great commandments. Paul alludes to that, or doesn't allude to it, he states it really explicitly in verse 14 when he says the whole law, uh, this is Galatians 5, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. That is one statement. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he hones in on that one because he's talking about He's talking in the context of relationships. But of course we know, and Paul knows very well, that that's the second greatest commandment. And the first is what? Yeah, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when we think about walking by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, it's really, if you will, as simple as this, in any situation that I find myself in, in any conversation that I'm having, what would be most loving to God? How can I love God in this moment? With my heart, with my mind, with my strength? And how can I love this person? As much as I love myself, how can I love them? If we filtered every situation in life through those two questions, we would have the answer to how we ought to respond. So it's not about, oh, I'm in this situation, let me go look up on the internet, you know, what do you do in this situation? (laughs) Let me find the law. No, it's what's loving? What is showing the love of Christ to this person? Or what is loving God in in this situation? The reason that we have all of the commands in the New Testament is because we need a lot of help to understand specifically what that looks like. (laughs) What does it look like to love someone who's sinning against you? (laughs) What does it look like to love your husband who is, is not treating you as Christ treats the church? He's not loving you as Christ loved the church. What does it look like to, to love your children when they're disobeying you? Uh, what does it look like to love your coworkers who are antagonistic to you because of your faith or for whatever reason? Uh, we need the commands of the New Testament to help us kind of tease out all of the implications, or at least many of them, of what it looks like to love God uh, and love others but fundamentally it is just those two things and so we we can know that we're walking by the spirit when that's how we're seeking to live to love God and, and to love others and in all the ways that that looks like let me just end for now with this so verses 13 to 15 the first part of what I read as I already said verse 26 those that that Beginning and end of that passage are about relationship. He says, verse 15, If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. In verse 26, let, let us not become boastful challenging one another, envying one another. The greatest opportunity we have to live out uh, the Spirit, to, to walk by the Spirit, is when we have very difficult relationships. That's when the flesh tends to come out, right? When you look at most of the works of the flesh, and most of them have to do with conflict of some kind. And so, in those moments, in those situations, in those relationship dynamics, where we're just at a loss of what to do, how do I, how do I engage with this person? what should be running through our minds or what can be running through our minds is how, how can I walk by the Spirit? How can I love God? How can I love others? How can I uh, have the same desires that the Spirit has in this moment? Contrary to the desires of the flesh. Right? The desires of the flesh will always be self-centered. What can I get out of this? What do I want? You know, I want a revenge. I want my way. It's all going to be selfish. The desires of the Spirit will always be how can I glorify God uh, and love this person and so I just want to end with that just to encourage you knowing that we're all sinners and we all relate to other sinners <laughs> and so the importance of cultivating walking by the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit is that it uh, it has a direct impact on our relationships and that's, that's the context that Paul is talking about here All right? So, uh, you're going to be studying each fruit, uh, each individual aspect of the fruit of the Spirit over the next uh, nine months or so. And I just want you to keep this in mind. That yes, again, we're commanded in other passages to do these things. But the way to really cultivate them is to pursue a life that's walking by the Spirit. All right?